Why are so many people fired up and worried about one result in CONCACAF Champions League? Hello, everyone. I am Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly here on ESPN LA 710. Independiente of Panama destroyed Toronto in the first day of Champions League in CONCACAF in the first leg of their two-leg tie, 4-0 in, in Panama last night. And everybody's up at arms. Oh, this is the uh, disgrace of MLS. Oh, well, MLS shouldn't bother with this competition. Oh, it's just... Maybe Toronto's just not any good anymore. We're talking about a team that was literally months ago inches away from winning this competition, the CONCACAF Champions League, and being the best team in North America. You could you could have argued that they were at the time, even though they didn't quite finish the competition as winners. And all of a sudden, it's falling apart. That's what this is about. This is about the Reds up north. Not about the competition, not about MLS as a whole, Nobody's freaking out that Deportivo Saprissa beat uh, Tigres last night in a very good game, or Houston Dynamo getting a tough win on the road at Guastatoya. And by the way, the three games going on in the uh, Champions League today, a couple of them already wrapping up, and then Alianza and Monterrey. I'm not going to talk about those right now because you may have DVR'd it on your way. You're, coming, you know, you're going home from work. You don't want to know. I'm not going to talk about those. We'll leave those, let those lie just in case you're still interested in what's going on with those and you want to go watch them or whatever. Trying to be good to you. But for the games yesterday, everybody freaking out. Oh, Toronto. The begin- yeah, you know what? TFC had some hard decisions to make in the offseason, and it's fallen apart a little bit. Did anybody notice that game against Las Vegas Lights, the team that Eric Winalda, our friend, i got to get uh, Eric back on the show. He's the manager of Las Vegas Lights in the uh, USL. And his team pumbled TFC in a exhibition uh, preseason. I get it. A couple of weeks ago, five one. Now here's the thing: preseason is preseason, right? You don't really care about wins and losses. It's about performance and getting ready for the season. I get that. But I, I hearken back to a, a, what's now already more than a handful of seasons ago. Remember when Chelsea under Jose Mourinho? Of course, they would come to America to play. Jose loved to do his preseason training over at UCLA. And Chelsea ended up playing the New York Red Bulls in a friendly. Do you remember this? I don't know, Mario, great producer Mario Reese. Mario, you remember this result a few years ago? The Red Bulls sent out their kids, basically. Backups, Red Bulls 2, you know, reserves, and they thrashed Chelsea 5-2. Do you remember that game at all? It was a preseason game. No, I don't remember that one, Dave. I'm sorry. I watched that game, and they just destroyed John Terry and Lamp, all the likes, you know, all the like of, you know, Jose Mourinho just sat on the bench, ticked off the whole game, right? They lost 5-2 to the Red Bulls. Now, it was a preseason game, but it was a precursor to what was a tough season for Chelsea overall, and I think we're seeing that with Toronto, and of course, last night's game proves that. You don't care about wins and losses in the preseason, but you also want to be putting in good performances regardless of the final score. It's not about it's about getting ready and it's about performing rather than the actual wins and losses. Well, Toronto FC was not ready for that one. Terrence Boyd, oh boy. Remember they brought over Boyd to not replace Javinko because you know you lose Sebastian Javinko, you can't replace a guy like that. But they brought in Terrence Boyd, bringing him over back over from Germany. And he skies a PK that would have made it 1-1. And, you know, realistically, if you get a road goal, right, at least you're still alive. I mean, TFC, 
they got rolled over late to give up a couple of more goals. But, you know, t- let's stop yelling about how, oh, MLS, it's the end of MLS. No, it's Toronto FC's problem. Tigres lost to Saprissa on the road. It's not the end of the world for Liga Amakis, right? Come on. And again, those three matches going on in Champions League, two of them already done, essentially, and then the, the uh, Monterey game. I'm not telling you about those. You may have DVR'd those, but I love CONCACAF Champions League. I love the fact Toronto got smashed. Not because I want to see an MLS side struggle. That's not really it. It's actually, if you look at Saprissa, a very great club, right? Saprissa's just... But beating the Liga MX side, and MLS is one of the better teams in MLS the last couple of years getting... Drubbed by a Panamanian side, that's good for CONCACAF. And it's good for the Champions League in CONCACAF. I want to see it become a better competition, a more, I guess, fought-for, dynamic competition. And it is becoming that, and I'll tell you why. It has very little to do with the average American soccer fan, although MLS fans certainly love the CONCACAF Champions League. It has to do with the Liga Amaki sides who now want it bad. I was reading a tweet from Tom Marshall, our good friend here of the show, who covers Mexican football and the uh, Liga Mackeys, and of course he covers the El Tree. And Tom had a very good tweet, essentially, I think it was yesterday, during the games, how, how the Mexican sides really want it. They want the CONCACAF Champions League. They want to win it. Unlike maybe years past, like, several years ago, many years ago, where it was just kind of an afterthought. They were going to win, and they didn't really, you know, they played backups and still won. They know they've got fights on their hands now in Champions League, and they want it. I'll even read his tweet from uh, about a day ago. Part of that tweet says, Mexican teams, Monterrey, Tigres, Santos, and Toluca, my Toluca, absolutely desperate to win the competition for different reasons. Differing reasons, says Tom Marshall. And he's plugged in to Mexican football. We love him here on the show. It was a great tweet. You know, and frankly, it's he's right. And that honestly makes for good football. And it's really where the future lies when it comes to the Champions League. Everybody's got to get more involved in it. Not only the Liga MX teams, but MLS teams are thriving and, and, and really trying to win this thing and taking it more seriously every year. That's why I love it. And you know what? Part of that manifests itself with Toronto getting drubbed. That's great. That's fine. Let's not uh, declare it the end of the world here for the league or for the competition itself. It's a good thing. It's ugly. It's ugly if you're TFC. But you know what? It's not the end of the world. In fact, it could be a harbinger for better things to come. Look at it that way. Now, Toronto's done. Virtually, I mean, they got to reverse that four nil. Good luck, but you know, you got Houston winning on a, in a tough spot, going on the road. That's big. So Houston winning on the road is, I guess, less important than Toronto losing big. I, that doesn't make any sense. You can't have it both ways. Good stuff. Good start there for Concacaf's Champions League. We will keep our eyes on that. I told you last week about the Eastern Conference. And the teams that I was most intrigued by, storylines going into 2019. Well, it's time for the Western Conference today. And I want to hear from you. Hit me up on Twitter, at TalkSoccer, right? You can follow me there, follow the show. What are the most intriguing off-season storylines for you in the Western Conference? 
Now, it doesn't, again, when I say these teams, they, they don't, this doesn't mean that I think they're going to win the West or even that they make the playoffs necessarily. In some cases, I, I, I do believe that. But I'm kind of intrigued by these teams for their stories heading into this season. Maybe it's a lot of upheaval. upheaval maybe it's a key transfer, right? Of course I can't wait for LAFC to get going. That's a gimme. I do the broadcast. If you're just joining us here on the show, if you've never heard Soccer Weekly, welcome. I happen to do the uh, play-by-play for LAFC. We are the home of Los Angeles Football Club here on ESPN LA and the ESPN app. So that's a gimme. I'm pumped. I can't wait to see what happens for LAFC in their second season. That one's automatic. Who are the other teams that I'm very intrigued by? Well, the first one is also kind of easy in that it has a massive LAFC connection. That's Vancouver Whitecaps. And, of course, new manager, former LAFC assistant under Bob Bradley, Mark Dos Santos. To say that Dos Santos and Vancouver are trying to rework their roster would be the understatement of the offseason. Holy cow. Is anybody left from last season's Vancouver Whitecaps? Now, you might joke and say, well, they missed the playoffs. What's the difference? Yeah, I mean, that's funny. And you're not wrong. I don't have a problem with any team missing the postseason in MLS, turning over their roster severely. You have to in this league. It's too competitive. But they were 500, right? I mean, it's not like Vancouver was the San Jose Earthquakes and winning four games out of 34, the most dreadful team in MLS by far, who also made a lot of changes. But Vancouver was a 500 club. Now, they leaked goals like a sieve, so he's got to change that. But they really, I mean, they were almost 500 on the road to boot. They really weren't that great at home. That's the key. But they missed the playoffs by only two points. And yet, if you look at the transaction wire... Holy cow. It is very intriguing what Vancouver Whitecaps are trying to do. This is one of the biggest roster turnovers that I can remember. Now, it happens in MLS. This is not the only time it's happened. So, But I'm very intrigued by what Mark Dos Santos is trying to build and if he can get it done. Maybe it's a little bit too much of roster turnover for just one year. In other words, maybe it's going to take him longer than just 2019. That's possible. But I like a couple guys he's brought in. I like Las Bangura. I want to keep my eye on him. They bring back Freddie Montero. Comes back from Portugal. Freddie always very comfortable in MLS. That'll be interesting. And then uh, the uh, Wang Inbyon. The young Korean who came over from Daejeon Citizen. This is a young a midfielder who I'm going to keep an eye on for sure. He's got a lot of talent. He's really high thought, highly thought of in Asia. And also uh, another young midfielder, Lucas, uh, a midfielder from uh, Austria-Vienne, Lucas Venuto. So with Bangura, Venuto, and, and uh, Wong, he's really rebuilding that midfield. And, of course, he's added some pieces up front as well. So Mark Dos Santos intriguing me with what he's trying to pull off with this roster. Another team who basically you ignore if you're an MLS fan for most of the season, right? You'll know who I'm talking about in the West. Because they're very ignorable. And that's Colorado Rapids. Very intrigued now by what they're trying to do. A, because in 2018, they tried to raid the English Championship thinking that that talent would be good enough to be uh, solid and, and very good and dominant in MLS. Yeah, how'd that go? 
wah, wah, 8, 19, and 7 last year. With just two wins on the road from 17 games. Colorado, were it not for San Jose, Colorado would be considered one of the worst teams in MLS, and they still are. But I'm intrigued because of what they're trying to do now with Benny Failhaber adding a little age, Kai Kamara. I like Diego Rubio coming in. So they've made some interesting moves. If it doesn't work this time, holy cow. That's that's the reason I, I think it's kind of intriguing. What else are they to do? They're just so bad there at Colorado. And the final team that I'm intrigued about, yeah, it's the El Trafico rival, LA Galaxy. Why? Because they've changed everything, haven't they? From Dennis DeClosa up top, bringing over Escaloto to be the manager, and now bringing back Juninho and Uriel Antuna on loan from Man City and Diego Polenta coming in. I like some of the moves. They didn't lose a ton of talent by any means in terms of players they let go. But they've got to rebuild a defense that was dreadful. Do they have that talent? Can Guillermo Scalotto put it together defensively? They'll score, and they'll score in bunches like they did last season. Can they stop anybody? Very intriguing storyline for LA Galaxy. They cannot afford to miss the playoffs. Everything on the line as a franchise this season for the Galaxy, in my estimation. Because when you make these kind of changes, after the dismal failure of missing the playoffs last season, you better be a lot better if you're the Galaxy, right? So much pressure on them. So much can't you can't overstate it in the least and that is why they're so intriguing oh i cannot wait i cannot wait for this season kicking off on march 2nd of course lafc kicks off march 3rd on that sunday you'll you'll hear it here on espn la and espn the app i cannot wait to bring that to you against sporting kansas city another team that i'm less intrigued about in terms of their offseason but they're going to be good again We'll certainly be breaking down more of this as I make my predictions next week here on the show. Uh, hit me up. Your thoughts on who most intrigues you as a team and their storylines coming into 2019 in the Western Conference at Talk Soccer. I'm Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Oh, I love the beautiful game. Dave Denholm with you here, Soccer Weekly, every week here on ESPN LA 710, the home of world football here in Southern California. And a good friend of ours, a friend of the show, from ESPN and ESPN FC, the great Sebastian Salazar joining us. Seb, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. Appreciate it. Hey, Dave, always great to be with you. I think we're doing this backwards, though, right? You're in Cleveland. I'm here in L.A. we got to get on the same page one of these days. <laughs> yeah, i gotta, I got to visit the hometown, you know. So, Seb, let me ask you something here. Um, you are, you know, basically, uh, realistically, we're going to start with the Eastern Conference with you. You're all over D.C. United quite often, and you know MLS as well as anyone around the league. And I wanted to talk Eastern Conference with you. Let's start with D.C. Uh, some of the moves in the offseason certainly looking good on paper. I think this is a team that certainly was on the rise with the addition of uh, Wayne Rooney and how they finished last season. The Luciano Acosta situation, how does that affect them, though, as they've made some good moves in the offseason, but are they ready for this campaign? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest question around D.C. United, you know, and each of the kind of primary contenders in the Eastern Conference has a big question. The biggest question for D.C. United is, how does Lucio respond to what happened 
on a personal level, no matter how committed Lucho Acosta may have been to DC United, both in the short term and maybe in the long term, because there was some uh, pretty advanced contract negotiations going on between he and DC United before all the stuff with PSG broke. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a life-changing opportunity for a player who grew up in Boca Juniors' system and, and as the number 10 La Jolla Boca Juniors Academy. I think people always thought he would eventually make it to Europe. This was a chance to not just make it to Europe, but to make it to the elite elite of Europe. And all of a sudden, it went from zero to 60 and back down to zero. And suddenly, he's playing in a preseason game against Bethlehem Steel back in Florida. Um, I think that's a lot for a human being to go through. I think we have to remember Lucho is a, a young player who has shown he can at times be volatile, um, both with his performance and a little bit with his mood. We've seen him you know, have discipline issues, red cards on the field in the past. The point is, he, he's a player that's evolving still. He's a player that's maturing still. And I think how he responds to this um, is really going to be the story of DC United season. I say that because if you look at the end of last year, um, in terms of hotness, red hotness coming into the MLS playoffs, nobody was hotter than DC United. So if they can overcome this, and if he on an individual basis can overcome it, I think they may be a favorite, the favorite, in fact, in the East, just because everybody else has big questions. And one more point on DC United that I would say is really valuable here is Wayne Rooney's presence is going to be key to keeping Lucho from going too far off the deep end based on what's happened. I think he's a guy that Lucho really looks up to, and he's an influence. We saw that Lucho's game immediately jumped when Wayne Rooney joined the team. So we see that there's a clear chemistry and connection there. I think Rooney being able to pull Lucho aside and say, hey, you want to play with the big dogs, like stuff like what happened to you and PSG is just part of the game. You need to get over it and continue to perform. And if you do perform, those chances will come back around. That's a great point. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar here. I really, I really uh, don't disagree there. It's a, it's a team that I'm going to keep my eye on. Another team I'm going to keep my eye on. And you know, I even forgot that they snuck into the playoffs last year. Is Philadelphia Union, Seb? You know this mm. team very well. They made some interesting moves in this off season. Talk a little bit about the Union here for 2019. Yeah, I think for me, you know, obviously Marco Fabian is, is I think, where it, it stops and starts. Let's let's you know acknowledge first that Philly is a team. Uh, and an organization that has not spent large amounts of money. They have not been among Major League Soccer's biggest spenders. And so I think if you're a Philadelphia Union fan, anytime you see just that first big wave of investment in a top-end player, you should be excited. I think it's a sign of the competition that we see around MLS and the Philadelphia Union, who maybe haven't had to compete financially uh, in a long time, now have to. So they have to go out and get a Marco Fabian. As far as what they're getting, guys, I'm really, really curious. Um, this is a player who has had major health issues. I'll be honest, I think he, he, he exceeded my expectations when he went over to Eintracht Frankfurt and all that he was uh, able to accomplish. But he hasn't really played meaningful football in a long time. Sure. And there's multiple clubs that have now said thanks or no thanks, primarily based on his health. And even what I'm hearing out of Mexico is that the interest down there – um, and obviously he would be a marquee player in that league as well, wasn't really on par with what Philadelphia was offering. So I think there's a possibility Marco Fabian could be a huge hit off the field. Um, I think he's going to be a good player for the Philadelphia Union, but I, I just wonder what's left in the tank. You know, I look at his age, I look at the connections, and I just wonder, and I think the other obvious thing about Marco Fabian is, you know, his agent is, is, a, is an American, an MLS-connected guy. He's seen him in Wells Fargo commercials. 
clearly there's a, a good relationship between he uh, and kind of the money movers in American soccer. So I, it was not a surprise for me at all to see him come back to MLS, but I'm very, very curious what he could do with the Philadelphia Union. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar, friend of the show here. He's from ESPN and ESPN FC. Uh, Seb, to me, the team that teeters on the brink the most in the East, and by that I mean a good team, a team that, that has had some success, but really I'm a little worried. New York City FC, this could be a, a very interesting year. I got a feeling they're going to take some steps back here, Seb. I know they're great at home, and if they can continue that, you know, you're, when you're great at home like D.C. and New York City, you're going to be good. I don't know about this team anymore. Am I right in that assessment, or am I a little too harsh? No, I mean, look, uh, what has their identity been since they came in the league? It's been David Villa. David Villa. <laughs> and that's just, a, that's just a major piece to move and to lose. And, and it, I'm not saying it's their fault that he's gone, um, but that's a major point to lose in terms of talent. Uh, in terms of influence within the locker room and really influence within the organization. Yeah. And then the organization standing in the city, like, not for nothing, but look at New York City's attendance numbers. They are in pretty steep decline. This is an organization that needs something big, uh, and I don't know if they have it yet. And I think we can also be honest in saying that you know, the jury is still out on exactly what kind of head coach Nick Torrent is, uh, specifically what kind of head coach he is in, in, in Major League Soccer. Uh, we saw they took a pretty severe step back or fall off after Vieira left uh, last year. Yep. And they're losing big pieces. And guys, they really you know, thought of as major contributors. I know he was hurt for a big part of last year, but Yankel Herrera was, was maybe potentially going to come back, and eventually um, that, that fell through. So I, I'm really curious about New York City FC, and I think it's to the point that you look at, at all the top dogs over the last two, three seasons in, in Major League Soccer's Eastern Conference. And they all have not just, like, question marks. They have, they have, like, major identity question marks moving forward. Uh, and New York City absolutely fits into that category. And they have the biggest question mark of all because of the guys they got at the plate uh, and the coach that they're trying to figure out if he's really, really the right guy. Our last question for Sebastian Salazar here, Seb. Uh, to me, historically, in all of MLS – the most underachieving franchise on and off the pitch, mm. despite mm. the fact they won their first year ever, is Chicago Fire. What in the world? I mean, I believe this is a franchise that should be one of the biggest in the world right now with that market, potentially, and they just keep languishing, Seb. Is there any hope for the Fire going forward here? Uh, I thought when you did that long introduction, I thought you were going to say New York Red Bulls because of the maybe uh, lack look, of, uh, of silverware, but no, I think Chicago's actually a, a great shout. Look, man, I, I feel really sorry for uh, Chicago Fire fans in a lot of ways, just yeah. seeing kind of how that meltdown took place at the end of last year. At the end of the day, as a fan, you want to be excited about your team. Uh, and at the end of last season, there was zero, like nothing for Chicago Fire fans uh, to be really excited about. We've seen, you know, kind of levels of investment uh, over time. But let's be honest, this team still plays 35 minutes outside of Chicago. Yeah. Um, their, yeah. their spending is, is, on the, is on really kind of outside of a few key acquisitions, kind of the lower end of MLS. And I don't just mean that in terms of salaries, just general infrastructure and around the front office. Um, they're not really known as, as, as a, a team that's really flashing cash and kind of the, the, the things that you maybe don't see on the field. You've seen some reports about teams that want to cut loose their academies and Chicago seems to be at the front of that list, which is really a horrible black eye, I would say, for Major League Soccer in general. 
um, but certainly for the Chicago Fire. So I, I wish I could sit here and tell the folks in Chicago that they have something to really look forward to, but yeah. um, I, I just think there are really deep, serious problems in the way the Chicago Fire do business or have done business in the past and maybe the level of commitment. Uh, and so until those things are short up, you know, maybe problems isn't the right word, just questions, unanswered questions. Uh, I, I'm really skeptical about what the fire are going to be, especially given that even though we say, like, look, all these teams in the East have problems or questions, yeah. man, the East, the East over the last couple of years has proven it's a big dog now. I mean, that really... seems to be where the powerhouses are. He's not lying, and he is the best because of it. He tells the truth. Sebastian Salazar of ESPN and ESPN FC. Check out his work there. I love ESPN FC and the show that they do. Seb, thanks so much for taking the time, as always. Enjoy, and uh, I look forward to the season, man. I can't wait. Absolutely. We're going to have some uh, some big, big L.A., both Galaxy and FC games on ESPN FC. I know I'll be back on the, uh, on the 31st of March. Uh, for a Galaxy game against the Timbers, and I think there's a U.S. women's team on April 7th. So put in your book today, and I'm going to come in studio. Don't, don't be in Cleveland. You got it, brother. He is the great <laughs> Sebastian Salazar. I look forward to it. Seb, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. Of course. Later, brother. Sebastian Salazar. Check out his work at ESPN and ESPN FC. Coming up, Vince LaRosa, the great LAFC Vince, will join us. Talking black and gold breakdown. It's next on the home of world football here in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. If you miss any part of the show, any interviews we do, don't forget you can always subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes, your pod stitcher, wherever you're going, the ESPN Pod Center, all of that. You can go find it on the podcast each and every week. I am Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly here in the home of world football in Southern California. We roll on as we do each and every week here breaking down and working up the minutia that is the beautiful game. And, look, here's the bottom line. I cannot wait for the MLS season to start. We are literally just days away, right? It's the old Seinfeld bit. You're a couple of weeks away, which really means you're a couple of days away, which is basically you take out showers and meals. We're only hours away from the start of the MLS season. And who better to talk about the black and gold than the great Vince LaRosa, who will join us here in a second as we begin the black and gold breakdown. One, two, three, break down. It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Break it down like this. Right now. At LAFC Vince on Twitter. Vince, always a pleasure, brother. Let's jump right into it. Look, we don't worry about results in the preseason, but you want to play well in the preseason. And Vince, it didn't look so good against San Jose Earthquakes. And yet, not all was lost there. Sum it up really quick again. I read your recap. We know what happened with the loss to the Earthquakes for LAFC. But where do we go from here with that? Yeah, a lot of people probably don't want to hear this, but that match was probably more about the Earthquakes than maybe LAFC. There there were some nice things that LAFC did. They didn't all come off, and we didn't get the reward of a goal. I mean, really, though, what we saw was kind of the influence of Matias Almeida. Uh, San Jose was a... They were energetic. They were combative. They were they were fighting. I mean, they looked exactly like a team you would expect that brought in a high-profile coach that's basically figuring out which guys are going to stick around and which guys aren't. You know what? Let's stay on the Earthquakes for a minute. They're my uh, the team I hate the most in MLS, and uh, that's been that way for a number of years. They were the worst team in MLS, Vince, but i got to tell you, for a team that won four games last year, I always felt like they had way more offensive talent. Now, the defense was leaked like a sieve, and the midfield was a mess at times, but is this a team that can be turned around reasonably quickly for Almeida? 
I think if you consider the style that he's bringing in, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's going to have a team that, that basically they're just going to be based on running, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, they're going to go 1v1 all across the pitch, and it's going to be all about willingness. And last season, all those things you said about San Jose were true. And what's worse, you couldn't define them. There was no style. There was no ethos to them. Almeida comes in, he's going to say, hey, everyone's going to fight for everyone. We're going to go 1v1. And when we turn the ball over, let's just get out and run and put it right back down the opponent's throat. So it's something that, you know, it's probably not going to be the prettiest thing, but it can be effective. If you don't come to play on the day against San Jose, they're going to get you and they're going to hurt you physically and on the scoreline. So it could be something they could turn around. I, I agree with you. They do have some pieces that as long as they buy in and everyone buys in, they could, they could make some waves. I'll wrap up my thoughts on San Jose this way, Vince. I love Vaco, the young Georgian that they brought over. Really talented player. You cannot leave him alone. I also think, though, I think you're right in the sense of the scrappiness of the earthquakes. If you're Almeida, all you're trying to do is make them harder to beat in the first year and just try to get points wherever you can and then see what happens in 2020. Couldn't agree more with you, though, on his assessment. Now let's look to the black and gold going forward, Vince. Uh, what's going on with this team? You've been around in the preseason a lot more even than I have. What is the trend? How are they building this? Forgetting the one game against San Jose, how's it going in terms of as we reach out towards March 3rd? You know, they're integrating some newer guys. I, I think one of the guys that I've really enjoyed watching his progression has been Eddie Segura. Him and Walker Zimmerman, I think, for me, have been the highlight of the the preseason. Uh, they've really only played two competitive matches together. Look like they've been playing for a whole season together. Uh, so they're looking to integrate guys, and they're just continuing to sharpen the things that they do. This is a team that has a very definite style and a very definite game model, and Bob just wants them to always sharpen it. So it's never about, okay, well, this didn't work. Let's see what we can try different. No, it's about this didn't work. Why didn't it work? And then let's move forward in making it better so that it works the next time. Yeah. And that's not to say that we're totally a, a, a rigid side. There's definitely nuances within the system. Uh, but the preseason has been all about making sure that everybody's on board with the game model and then knowing that when this doesn't happen, well, then we need to do this a little bit sharper. And what about some of the new guys, Vince, that we know we're going to see a lot of minutes from? Eddie Segura, we've talked about him even you know, when we were face-to-face. Uh, what about some of these other new guys that we know LAFC is going to have to rely on a lot? Yeah, you've got a guy like Mohamed El Munir who we've only seen in limited minutes. He's had a, a knock here or there, so he hasn't gotten to get in a lot. But he did play in that Columbus game, which was another closed-door friendly. Uh, to start for the first 20 minutes, he was flying up the pitch, the things that you wanted from him. And also, he's got that speed to make those recoveries. So I'm yep. excited to see him. Obviously, though, if, if he's maybe not quite ready to go right from the start, he's still got a guy like Jordan Harvey. So the depth is much, much, much improved than what we've seen. Um, again, talking about more new guys, Peter Lee Vassell gets a start against San Jose, and that's, that's a game that is tough for a young player because those guys are coming in there, they just want to beat you up. And Peter's maybe a little bit slighter than most guys, but as the game wore on, he started to find more and more pockets of space, started to adjust his starting points to where guys couldn't body him, and then he started to see his confidence on the ball his trying thing. So those are those are some other guys to go along with Eddie that I think we're going to start to see some things from. And I think uh, the coaching staff is going to want to uh, maybe bleed early to see what, what kind of uh, player they've got. What about events as we look for the second season of guys like Diego Rossi and, and Carlos Vela? We've talked a lot about this, but what about that midfield with uh, specifically a guy that I think is really, you know, everybody's pointing toward Andre Horta, myself as well, 
talk a little bit about him first, but then also Eduardo Tuesta. I think he's such a linchpin for this midfield. Yeah, Andre, we're we're looking so all waiting for that that breakout, right? And he, he, a lot of it was learning the system, and and a lot of these things, you know, when we say system, it's it's not like the higher level soccer things. He's just he's learning a few things that might help elevate his game to make yeah. him better. He's got the raw tools, but sometimes he does a thing where maybe he takes a touch that he's facing, not facing the field, and and that's the things that the coaches are saying. Hey, if we can turn you around, we can get you facing the field. You can do real damage. So. Those little nuances, sometimes even though they seem a little, they seem easy, they seem like a slam dunk. They're hard because they're they're built into you. You're hardwired to play the way you were, uh, you know, growing playing. And he'd been successful prior to that. Edward Atwesa kind of in the same way, but he he's more of a role change. He, he's a guy that, in a lot of ways, was a box to box player. Um, but now he's he's being asked to be more of the deep guy in most situations. Obviously, he's going to still get forward. We have fluid midfield, but he's being asked to make sure that. At, at all times, he is balancing the other two that are in his trio, whether that's Andre, whether that's Mark Anthony Kay, or, or yeah. you know, Lee, Lee Wynn out there. So those are two guys that are they're learning the game in different ways, um, but you've you got to know that when they figure it out, they have the quality to really put teams, uh, you know, put teams away and play the style that we're looking for. We are talking with LAFC Vince here, the great Vince LaRosa, hanging out in black and gold breakdown with Dave Dunholm. This is Soccer Weekly. Uh, Vince, I asked this about you know when we do other talk about other shows, do other sports talk shows and other other uh, sports, if you will. I ask a lot of people this. I'll ask you, what does it look like in terms of LASC having success this year? In other words, how does that how does that go about this season? How does it break down? How does it kind of transform or transpire? Is it getting off to a great start? Is it another long unbeaten streak? How do we know, like, as we look towards the playoffs, that this is a team that's had a great season? How will that look for uh, for the black and gold? I think, uh, you know, obviously playoffs, every, you get there, it's a knockout competition, and then from there you, you kind of have to sort it out. It's a crapshoot, uh, yeah. We're not worried about that. The season really is how you, you know, I mean, you're right. The playoffs, you just kind of got to, you know, play your best and hope. Yeah, and we had a team last season that 30 minutes, if 30 minutes breaks a different way in, in uh, sport, at Sporting Kansas City, you're looking at the Western Conference champions in their yep. first uh, in their first season, or should, should we say regular season Western Conference champions. So the the bar is high. I think if if we if we can fast forward and we say okay, LFC did really well this year, what we're going to say they did really well is because they had consistent performances. I think uh, on the whole, different guys stepped up at different times uh, to really be good. Whether it was Carlos for uh, for bursts or, or Dio while Carlos is gone for a while or Diego, but I think what we're going to see it if LAFC reaches all their goals, you're going to see one guy, one or two guys that really from the start to finish bossed the game, and basically when the team needed them to pick up everybody else, they're yeah. going to do that, and that's something yep. that maybe was lacking last season. I mean, like I said, we had chunks of it or we had pieces of it in games, but if we see somebody like Carlos Vela take that that next leadership step and really just carry this team, or even maybe a guy like Mark Anthony Kay, um, demand more of his teammates and really make sure that he's bossing games and he's a linchpin there, then that's when we're going to see LAFC go you know, beyond third place, beyond maybe just taking the conference and, and really making waves in the playoffs. Oh, I love this guy, LAFC Vince on Twitter, Vince LaRosa. Vince, I'm going to put you on the spot here now. I'm going to fully disclose I hate video-assisted replay. I think it's the death of sports. I think it's the death of passion in soccer on a, in a sport that's built on it. But I'm going to let you have your piece. I won't rebut after that. I, I wanted to lay out my opinion to you. I think you know that, though. 
What is your thought on video-assisted replay when it comes to soccer, Vince? You know, I, I see your side a lot. I do like VAR. I like the way that it was done in the World Cup, and I think a lot of people say that that's kind of their out. But my thing is, please just, just tell us exactly what you're looking at. Let's, have, let's actually not have it as fluid as the rules of soccer. Tell me we can only look at these things and then do that. The one thing that I think MLS really failed on was saying, okay, it has to be clear and obvious. Well, that, that standard is just too weird. I need even stricter rules, stricter guidelines. So like you say, we're only peeking in on certain things so that we're not slowing down the pace of the game. And we're also not, we're not curious about what, what exactly we're looking at. If we have strict criteria of the only things you can look at and the only times you can stop the match, then we all know exactly why we are stopping the match. Vince LaRosa, you got to check out his work on Twitter, at LAFC Vince, part of Black and Gold Breakdown and a friend of the show, part of Soccer Weekly here on ESPN LA. Vince, always a pleasure, buddy. We'll see you soon, man. Thanks, Dave. The great Vince LaRosa here from LAFC. Check out his work at LAFC.com and on Twitter, at LAFC Vince. Still to come, stoppage time with the great Mario Reyes, the producer of the show. He hosts stoppage time. That is next. It's the fastest segment in radio coming up right here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Always good to chat with Vince LaRosa of LAFC.com. And if you missed the Sebi Salazar interview from ESPN and ESPN FC earlier in the show, you can podcast Soccer Weekly each and every week here. The podcast gets up virtually right after the show on the ESPN Pod Center or at iTunes or your podcatcher. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Give us a review. It does help, and I truly appreciate it. I can take it. I've been in radio long enough. I can take the criticism if that's what you prefer. Time now for a segment no one can criticize. It's the best in radio. It is Stoppage Time. What time is it? It's Stoppage Time. Yeah, Stoppage Time. It's Stoppage Time. Right now. Producer of Stoppage Time. Host of Stoppage Time and the producer of LAFC and Soccer Weekly, it's the great Mario Reeves. Mario, how are you, buddy? Dave, doing good, man. It's been a jam-packed show. Yes, yes it has. Thank you for that. I appreciate your hard work, man. We got to get right to it. We got Demarcus Beasley now, 20 years after signing his first MLS contract, still hitting hitting goals. And this one was a late game winner for Houston Dynamo in the CCL opener day. This was a beauty, too. That was a beauty. Still doing his thing, Demarcus. 20 years he signed a goal? Oh, my goodness, Mario. I was practically a teenager when he's no, I'm kidding, but uh, wow! I mean, how old is how old is Beasley now? He's got to be thirty eight, thirty nine, somewhere around there. Maybe that's maybe a good 37. question. Seven. Well, you know, he and he and Landon are right, right that same generation. He's around thirty six then, thirty seven. Because I know Landon's about that age. So one thing wow. about Demarcus, if you look at him, you can't even tell what age he is. I mean, he could be twenty. True, he could be he forty. Looks good. Yeah, he looks good. He still looks like he's uh, at his first weight that he came into the league at. Too, exactly. You know? like, he hasn't gained an ounce. I'll say this for him. What's really impressive about a guy like Demarcus Beasley, and it shows you that his his game is a lot deeper than people think. Morrow is that he was really known for his speed yeah. for a long time, right? I mean, he you know he just ran by people. Mm-hmm. Not that he you know certainly he knew what he was doing. Played for the world, you know, several World Cups for the U.S. Certainly a fabulous player over the years for the U.S. Men's National Team as well as his club teams. He also played in Europe some. But the thing about him was, you, you thought if the speed went, maybe the game would suffer. But he hasn't really lost a step. You know, he's just—he's amazing. He still runs by guys, which is—and quite... on top of all that, with all that experience added on, that you know makes oh, up exactly. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a deadly combination, and it's fun to see. Now we talked about it what uh, last week. Uh, Landon Donovan's still playing, uh-huh. but now he's in the—you uh, know—he's in the—he had his first game in. 
indoor soccer with the San Diego Soccers. It's funny that he and DeMarcus Beasley kind of go at each other a little bit. I know they're dear friends. <laughs> yeah. They kind of joke with each other on Twitter a lot and everything, the old men, you know, kind of thing. But uh, interesting that they're both still doing it. Certainly DeMarcus Beasley at a high level in the CONCACAF Champions League. If you didn't see that goal, Mario, the most amazing thing to me about that goal not that DeMarcus Beasley is the old grizzled veteran, not that it was the game-winning goal, not that it was even the only goal of the match. You want to know what the most amazing thing of that goal was? What was that? He hit it with his right foot. He did, yeah. He's a lefty predominant. You know, we've only known DeMarcus is pretty much a left-footed player, you know, running up and down that left wing. But, man, did he crack that goal. If you missed it, go get a glimpse of that one. That was a great goal, Mario. I look forward to seeing what Houston Dynamo can do because let's remember everyone it's a it's a bitter bitter pill to swallow they're the team that knocked LAFC out of the U.S. Open Cup run that, that the black and gold had last year that's true they did and they went on to win it so that's kind of hurts but that's what got them into Champions League Mario it also just segues into what I always say you've got to take these Open Cups seriously yeah and it's it's vital because Houston Dynamo really had a dreadful regular season they were well below 500 Nowhere near the playoffs in the Western Conference, although I thought they were a better team than their record indicated. But they really went after the Open Cup at the, I guess, the detriment of their MLS season, and look what happens. They end up winning. And I think LAFC is going to go after it again, so it should be exciting. Well, yeah, I agree with you there. Absolutely. Always fun. The great Mario Reese. Thanks so much for your time and your efforts, Mario. Appreciate that. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for listening each and every week. We appreciate you, Mario, and I love you as fans of Soccer Weekly. Hit me up on Twitter at TalkSoccer. I'm Dave Denholm. This is the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710.